If you would grab a Bible and turn with me a couple of places this morning, they're going to be on the screen. And kids, fifth grade and under, you're welcome to make your way downstairs right now to Clubhouse. I hope you guys have a great time. We're going to be first in the Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers is just three more books past where we were at last week in Exodus. If you'll find your place there and stick your finger in the Bible, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. I want you to find Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. And the reason why we have you turn in your Bible to this or bring it up on your e-reader is because I hope that you go back to these truths throughout the week. If not this week, the next time fear or the subject that we're talking about comes up, I want you to be able to find your way back to the truth and remind yourself. In fact, this morning, I'm going to have you underline some things and circle some things there in your Bible. This weekend, we come to the subject of fear in this study that we're on, the journey to a new normal. Now, I'm not talking about momentary fear. At our house, the girls love to hide around the corner from their mother and wait for her to come through the house and jump out and scare her. If you know Sarah, she hates to be scared. She hates to be tickled. And our girls like to do both to their mom. I'm not talking about that kind of momentary fear. Nor am I talking about the fear that we've all had when maybe we've been driving our car and have a near accident, or maybe you've been involved in a car accident. I had a motorcycle for a few years. I used to ride with some of the guys at church here, and I begged Sarah to ride with me the first time she went for a ride with me. As I leaned into the curb, she leaned out. I thought we were going to crash. But after a few rides, one night we were on our way to Salem, to eat at uh, Tumbleweed, and we came over a hill, and the sun, the glare of the sun caught me just right, and I was blinded for just a minute. We went on to dinner. We had a great dinner. We got home that night, and as we pulled into the barn with the motorcycle to put it away, Sarah said, I want every date to be on the motorcycle. And I said, well, that's funny, because I decided when I came over that hill, we're never riding again. And that was the last time we, we rode together. But I'm not talking about that kind of fear. Not even the fear of God that the Bible says is the beginning of wisdom. This weekend, I want to talk to you about fear that grips you and won't let you go. Unhealthy fear that keeps you and me from engaging the very life that God has promised us and has given us through Jesus Christ. Not just life eternal, but life eternal that begins right here on planet Earth. The writer of Hebrews summarizes this aspect of our journey this way. He says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. When you and I face situations with confidence, the answer that we're looking for, the confidence that we need for the next challenge is on the other side. That is the reward. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. Aren't you excited about the reality that every day we live on this planet, we are one day closer to the day when Jesus Christ comes back for his church. But my righteous one will live by faith. 
And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we come to you today grateful for your presence with us always. Just as you journeyed before and behind and with the Israelites in their journey, you are with us. You have made your home in the heart and soul of those who believe. So we come to you today, Father, confessing our struggle with unhealthy fear. I know I confess mine. And I know that this fear keeps us from the life that you have for us. So give us faith. Give us faith to not only overcome, but to persevere and to live in the blessing of your promises. Today, Father, we pray this not just for ourselves, but we pray this for our family, for our friends. We pray this for our nation, this great country that we live in. We pray this for those we have yet to meet, that they too will know of you, that they will know you and trust you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, in Numbers chapter 13, God's people, the Israelites, they are on this journey, right? And we have followed their journey from Egypt where they lived in their old normal, right? They were slaves. We've journeyed with them as they left Egypt after miraculous plagues. They've crossed the Red Sea with Moses' leadership and God's blessing as he performed this grand miracle. They've received the commands that God laid down to them so that they could have relationship with him and they could have healthy relationship with others, right? We've seen this happen. And now God has led them to the brink of this new normal, this promised land, having laid down all of these things for them, this new way that they're going to live life as his people. And they're on the brink of this promised land called Canaan. I don't know how many of you visited the forestry up in Henryville. There's a fire tower out there, and you can go up on this tower, and you can look out, and you can see for miles. On up the road, another 15, 20 miles out to our house, there's a hill that you drive up that's just less than a mile from where we live, and you can ride the four-wheeler up there and pull off in the grass, and on a sunny day, clear day, you can see Louisville from up there. It's a spectacular view. And that's exactly where these people are in their journey. They are on the brink. It's this defining moment of entering this promised land. And they come to this defining moment where they have to decide, are we going to trust God no matter what? Will we persevere or will we shrink back? Will we continue to grow in our faith or will we be destroyed by fear. So in chapter 13, verse 1, this is what happens. The Lord says to Moses, send some men to explore this land, this land of Canaan, which I'm giving to you. And in verse 3, Moses goes through all of the tribes, all of the family units, and he chooses 12 people, not just any people, but 12 leaders, one from each tribe. And in verse 17, he sends them with this direction. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up this way into the hill country, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. 
What kind of land do they live in? Is it good land? Is it bad land? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Now, while we're always asking you to notice the things that he says, Moses says here, I want you to notice what he doesn't say in this instruction that he gives to these 12. He doesn't say to them, I want you to go in and I want you to check things out and I want you to work out the battle plan. I want you to come back and I want you to tell me whether we can take this city or not. He doesn't say that. Nor does he ask their opinion about what they see. He asks them for facts. He says, bring me the facts. Is the land good or bad? Are the towns fortified or not? Bring me a sample of the fruit. What's Moses doing here? It's very important. Moses is directing them to see with their own eyes the answer to the promises that God has made. This is what they've been journeying towards. He doesn't need their opinion about it. He needs them to see that what God has promised them is real. It's right before their eyes. And so here's the first thing I want you to remember when it comes to choosing God and choosing faith over fear. Not fear the dark. Not even fear that that you're going to have an accident again after you've had one. But I'm talking about the fear that holds you back. And that is the more that we affirm the promises of God through faithful obedience, the less we will give in to unhealthy fear. My friends, if you have never, if you have never stayed true to the promise of God, of God, but have continued to give in to fear and to shrink back. Fear is going to continue to be a stronghold in your life. Remember the three principles that we said will continue to come to the surface as we journey together to this new normal. Remember the three? They're very simple. One is obedience to God brings the answers that we seek. Disobedience only prolongs the answer. If you're looking for an answer to your fear, it lies in obedience. It lies in affirming the promises of God with your life. The second, there's often nothing about your situation that will give you faith to act at the moment. If you're looking for your situation to give you courage, it's not going to be there. Our courage comes from the promises of God from his track record, from the times that we have been faithfully obedient to him and we can look back and we can see that he was right there, that he's never broken a promise. And the answer to every question, how are we going to get through this? The answer to every question is God will provide. He always has and he always will. I want you to think with me, what are the promises that God has given us as we align our lives with this new baseline, this baseline for the normal with which he wants us to live and engage life? What are his promises? Anybody know his promises? He promised to be with us. Never will I leave you. Never will I 
forsake you. He promised his presence, right? He is with us always. He desires to make his home in us, not in a tabernacle, not in a temple as we learned, but inside of us. He will give us strength. We have the promise of his Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the promise that he is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We have the promise that there is now no condemnation, no matter what you've done, no matter how ugly your past, no matter how severe the consequences that you're still dealing with today. When you have been set free by Jesus Christ, when you have been saved by him, you are saved. Don't let the past continue to condemn you. And those who believe in him, as Brandon said earlier in his prayer, will live even though they die. Now, friends, how did these promises leave the pages of this book and become real in our lives? The only way these promises become real in our lives is as we encounter fearful moments but choose faithful obedience. As the writer of Hebrews said, when we persevere, we receive. When we shrink back, we're destroyed. Unqualified fear always destroys. So Moses, Moses, he sends the 12 into the land to explore it to bring back facts, to share a report with all of these people that are waiting and watching. And so for the next 40 days, these 12 leaders do just that, and they come back carrying this cluster of grapes. Deuteronomy says that there were figs and there were other things in that cluster, but it was so big it took two men to carry on a spike. I mean, can you imagine I bet they would pay more than 99 cents a pound for those at JC today to have those kind of grapes. And in verse 27, 10 of the 12 men give this report. We went into the land you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, right? Get the cereal bowls out. We're ready for breakfast. It's just what God said exactly to the words. God said, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And the 10 came back and said, we saw it. We had it. It was good. Here's its fruit. But look at that word, but. But, there's been songs written about that, right? I like, no, not that one. But, but. And then they start down the, shame on you. You all know that song. <clears throat> then they start down the list of their fears. Listen, the people who live there are Powerful. Did Moses ask them if they were powerful or not? And the cities are fortified and very large. And then they not only give their fears, but they give their opinion based on fear. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. How many of you have been exposed to this on Facebook over the last five months? How many of you have been exposed to this in your very own place of work and in houses that we live in? The spread of fear spreads like wildfire, even among God's most faithful. There have been times when I have been scared out of my mind. Times when we've planned events, times when we've said, it's time for people to gather. And in the middle of the night, wake up in a cold sweat, 
thinking, is this right? Yes, it's right because God commanded it. It's right. But fear is very, very real. And fear spreads like wildfire. And it got so bad there in verse 30 and following that before the report was finished, the people were in such an uproar, they had stones in their hands ready to stone Moses and elect a new leader. You talk about riots. They wanted to elect a new leader and go back to the place God had rescued them from less than a year earlier. How does that happen? Well, it's been happening all around this. We give unhealthy fear power the moment we take our eyes off of God. We give unhealthy fear power the moment that we take our focus, our eyes, off of God. That's why we're commanded in Scripture to set our hearts, to set our minds to set our eyes and our thoughts on things above. What are things above? What God has done, what he is doing, what he will do. It's why Paul commands, we demolish arguments and every pretension. Fear has brought a lot of arguments in our lives. I argue with fear every time I'm about to get up and my mouth goes dry and my hands begin to shake. The only way to demolish that argument and that pretension that sets itself up against what I know to be true is I must take captive every thought and make it obedient to the truth, to Christ. The last five weekends that we've journeyed with the Israelites from Egypt, right after they left the gates, right? They had seen the plagues. They have seen these miraculous things, frogs everywhere, gnats everywhere, water turned into blood. They'd seen all of these things, and as quick as they came, that quick they left. They had seen the miracle of God. Yet just outside the gates, just days within their travel, what happens? They're surrounded by the Red Sea. The Egyptians are fast on their trail. And what did they do? They took their eyes off of God and they began to grumble. They began to be afraid. When they first felt their hunger pain, remember? After they got through the miracle of the Red Sea being split and their fears covered up, right? God, like the song said, completely covered up their fears with water, drowned them out when he drowned the Egyptians. When they felt their first hunger pain and discovered the desert Walmart was out of Lunchables, what did they do? They took their eyes off of God and they grumbled to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to starve to death? We need water. We need food. What's missing in the hearts of the people at all of these intersections, all of these defining moments? What's missing? Perseverance. Faith. Trust, truth, embracing the opportunity to affirm the promises of God by not shrinking back. And I know just as soon as I say that, there's a part of every one of us, maybe it's just me, that wants to say, well, cut them some slack. These are hard circumstances they're up against. And it's true, these conditions that they were in go to the very baseline of our needs, right? They cut to the core, our need for protection, 
Our need for food and and shelter and water and health. But cut them some slack? This isn't the first time they faced hardship. This isn't the first time God will reveal himself to them. God has been with them the whole time. He's been making himself known the whole time. Why is it that when we face hardship, why is it that we, when we become fearful, why do we want to cut ourselves some slack and say, it's okay, these are unprecedented times. It's okay to doubt. It's okay if we don't meet. This is... This is this is unparalleled times. God said it's okay to watch it on the internet. No, he didn't. We say, cut ourselves some slack. It's okay to shrink back. But let me ask you, and I mean this sincerely with all my heart. When has cutting yourself some slack when it comes to fear ever made you less fearful? The fear continues. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith, on the other hand, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, Now, listen, someone misquoted me several weeks ago, and they said, oh, you're preaching if we have enough faith, we're not going to get the virus. No way. No way. I don't preach that any more than saying, if you give 10%, God's going to make you rich. No. Hear me. No. No. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Listen, faith is understanding that the universe was formed at God's command, verse 2 says. That's where our faith begins. If you can't Wrap your mind around this and agree that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. The God is the one who formed every living being. This is the foundation of our faith. This is step one. Step two, faith is Abel offering God a better sacrifice. Remember that? Why did Abel offer God a better sacrifice than Cain? Because he listened to what God commanded and he followed the command. God said, I want the first and the best. And he didn't shrink back. He didn't say, how am I going to do that? He did it. Faith has everything to do with obeying. Faith is Abraham when called by God to go. He went, even though he knew not the land that he was going to. Faith has everything to do with not shrinking back, not cutting ourselves some slack. Faith has everything to do with being sure of what God has said and commanded. How sure are you? By affirming God's promises with our obedience and trust, we become sure. That if he has commanded certain things in our lives, if he commands it, he always backs it up with the ability to carry it out. Two of the 12 understood this. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. Joshua and Caleb, they give a much different report than the the 10. I want you to notice their perspective. Verse 6. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. 
Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Notice this. Their protection is gone. What does that mean? That means that God has already gone before them. He's already at work. How did they recognize that? Because these two men had paid attention to all the other miracles that God had performed. If God can split a sea, he can take the protection away from a city, right? If God can create the heavens and the earth, my goodness, he can work through anything to accomplish what he wants done in our lives. The Lord is with us, verse 9 says. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. Friends, the more we affirm the promises of God through our obedience, the less we have to fear. But when we let unhealthy fear trump the promises of God, I'm not talking about President Trump. I'm, when, when we allow unhealthy fear to be greater to be greater than the promises of God, it will not only separate us from his promises, but it will destroy us. Look ahead with me to the final outcome of this defining moment. And let me say it didn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way in your life. Chapter 14, verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? Wicked community. Boy, things changed. I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. I want you to underline that. I will do to you the very things I've heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years and more, who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. Verse 34. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. Wow. In verse 37, we go on to read that the ten who had turned the rest of the people against God in fear were struck down and died of a plague. I had a friend, member of our church, came to me several months ago. It's been several now. It's been two, two and a half months ago when we first started meeting again. And my friend told me about the number of people that had called him and said, are you back to church yet? This was you all calling and saying, are you back to church yet? And he said, no, no, we're not. And, and they said, oh, okay. And it finally occurred to him that because he wasn't here, other people were choosing to not be here. Now, I'm not talking about those of you who are on oxygen and, and who are more at risk, you know, who are around sick people every day, right? I'm talking about normal, this, my friend, the same age I am, 51 years old. And he realized that he was the one responsible for them 
not coming because of what he was doing in his life in not keeping the commands of God. By not letting fear, by letting fear trump that. They were struck down and died of a plague. Why? Because when you and I influence people in their faith, remember Jesus' words, anyone who does something to these little ones of mine, they'd be better off to have a millstone hung around their neck and flung into the sea. When you and I do things that diminish the faith of other people, we will be held accountable. All these things that you post on Facebook, those things impact people. It shouldn't. But people read that as if you are God. They value your opinion, even though most of it's foolishness. Listen, this is how serious God takes unaddressed fear. But I want to make something else very clear to you about God's actions with the Israelites. And that is God forgave them for their fear. He forgave them for their fear. Chapter 14, verse 20. God says, I have forgiven them and I am grateful that God has forgiven me for my fear there have been times in this ministry over the years Bill Stone and others who've journeyed with me for the last 15 years they could see it on my face the times that I got discouraged or that I got afraid that we had a leadership problem or something like that and I would shrink back in the little hole for a few weeks and then I'd get my faith back up and I'd muster it up to come out. I'm so glad that God has forgiven me of that. I, I hate myself for it. But he's forgiven me. But he goes on to say in verse 20, Nevertheless, this is God talking, As surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt... And in the desert, hear what he's saying? Not one of you who have seen all of these things that I've done, you knew me, but yet you wouldn't trust me with this. Who disobeyed me and tested me, not one of them will see the land I promised. No one who has ever treated me with contempt will ever see it. Here's the point. While God forgives us of our unhealthy fear, the consequences are real. The consequences are real. We have to live with these. Go back and look at verse 27. The consequence of unaddressed fear is that we often experience the very thing we were afraid of, right? What were the Israelites most afraid of every step of their turn? That they would die in the desert. That's what they were afraid of. That they would die in the desert. And so what are the consequences of their lack of faith, of allowing fear to have a greater hold in their life? They died in the desert. While fear is shouting, don't put yourself out there, don't go against the crowd, don't rock the boat, just do it. It's only a small thing. How many have heard that? It's only a small thing. Do your best for your state. Can't you see how insurmountable the challenge is? <laughs> While fear is shouting, shrink back. Faith is embracing what God has commanded and promised. Now, when you and I set out, 
When we set out to leave our own Egypt, our own past normal, and follow God's lead to this promised life, this new normal that we're, we're wanting to live in, this space that we are living in, living in right now is caught in the middle, right? We've got the past and all the things that God has done, which we're reading about today. We've got the future and the glory of heaven and all those things that we're looking forward to. But there's this big space between the two that you and I have to live in. And every day that we live in this space, we need to realize that faith and trust in God matters. And even though there is fear, and fear is very real, fear is very real, the fear that we experience in this space, but we have to remember God and his promises are greater. That's why the Bible lists for us 7,487 promises of God. 7,487. I challenge you to have that many fears. Some of the promises are positive, the assurance of blessing. Some are negative, the guarantee of consequences. <laughs> but all of the promises are binding. Grasping the commands and promises of God instead of fear, it unlocks the faith. It unlocks the faith that we need to move forward today as we live in this space in between. God's not only a promise maker, but he's a promise keeper. James 1.17 says God is unchanging. He doesn't change directions mid-course. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He isn't the victim of moods or weather. Somebody said, I woke up in a bad mood this morning. God does not wake up in a bad mood. He doesn't wake up with a storm front coming through and his knees aching, and so it makes him grumpy. He is unchanging. He's faithful. Hebrews 10.23 says he can be trusted. He can be trusted to keep his promises. Romans 4.21, he is able to do what he promises. He doesn't overpromise or underdeliver, and he cannot lie. Hebrews 6.18, he never exaggerates, he never manipulates, he never flatters or fibs. He keeps his Word. The question isn't, will God keep his promises? When fear comes, the question is, is will I build my life on his promises? Or will I give in to the fear? You see, faith is the hand that reaches out to grasp what God has promised, no matter how hard Satan tries to pull it back. And Satan is trying very, very hard to pull it back right now. And in some of our lives, and in some of our lives, he succeeded temporarily. But God promises, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I'll not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Friends, we're in the perfect place to see what God has done. And I believe this is an incredible season. While many, while many feel that there's a cloud over us and we are defeated, we are not defeated. God is not defeated. What has been presented to us is an opportunity like never before. And for some of us, it may be that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I pray that we have been shaken hard enough. I pray that God doesn't have to let anything else come to shake us harder. But I think there will be. Because I think we failed this. 
I think we failed it. But thankfully, there's forgiveness. <laughs> thankfully, there's forgiveness. And thankfully, we still have the opportunity to not be destroyed, but to start building on his promises. It's not too late to affirm the promises that he's made to you through your obedience. One of my favorite promises is Ephesians 1.11. It says that it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. There's only way, one way, for us to discover this. And the reality is, is that long before we first heard of him and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, and he's had his eye on you this entire time. He has never let you go from his sight and his care. I hope that you're starting to recognize the miracles that God has laid down in your life over the last five months, the protection that he's given your family, the jobs that you've been able to keep and to provide for your family with or without stimulus or unemployment. Long before you heard of him, he had his eye on you and had designs on you for this new life, this glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. Are you fearful? Are you overcome? Have you shrunk back? Let today be the day that you let him work that out. Let today be the day that you start living not carelessly, not recklessly, but fearlessly. Dive into the deep water of baptism. Make the commitment you've needed to make. But above all, don't let fear, don't let fear have its way. Let's stand and let's respond.